Well, if you're not disappointed, it's me. Say amen. I'm a little disappointed. We all enjoy having Kirk out here, and we're going to get him back out here soon for a lot of reasons. One reason is we paid for his ticket, and it was non-refundable. So we're going to reschedule that trip and get him out here soon. But uh, I'm glad to talk to you today about the topic of missions. I'd like for you to grab your Bibles, if you would, please, and join me in standing if you're able. We're going to look to a passage of Scripture in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. And we're going to be encouraged by what we find there, Romans chapter 10. The sociology departments of the University of Arizona and Duke University partnered together to do a study on friendship. And really, they were studying the phenomenon that people today are profoundly lonely. They interviewed about 1,500 people at length, which is really a massive study. And, and they found what we all know instinctively, that loneliness abounds today. But there was a statistic that they learned that was just astounding to me. One in four of the people that they interviewed said there wasn't one person in all of the world that they felt they could go to and share their heart with. 25% of people felt there was no one else on planet Earth that they considered a very close friend. Now the reasons for this, as they outlaid in their, in their findings, were, were varied. Some of them were uh, relating to impacts in the home, and it was a lot of dual-income families, long commutes, long hours, and... Frankly, it's just hard to get the time together that maybe in years gone by families would have. They talked about the, uh, the growth of, of uh, friendships online that really are not real friendships in many cases. And although Facebooking and tweeting may be fun, when your life is in a conflict and when you're in a crisis, a million followers online cannot do for you what one true friend can do. And so they talked about the need to invest in relationships. Now, of all the relationships in my life, there's no human relationship more important than my relationship with my wife, Lisa. It's important to me every day. But because it's important to me every day, we take certain days to just invest in that time. We'll get away during the course of the year. We'll, we'll take trips together. Because it's an important relationship every day, we like to take specific days where we can make sure that we're doing our best with our relationship. And I think in a similar sense, that's what a Mission Sunday is all about. Uh, missions is the heart of God. Missions is not just a ministry at Coastline, it is our mission. And we know it's important every Sunday, but we want to take specific times so we can come together and invest in our understanding of God's plan and God's heart for the world and this is kind of like a date night for the church where we're just reminded of it all and we can make sure that we're doing the best we can to honor the Lord. And we've got a big job ahead of us today. By the end of this year, we'll have about 7.4 billion people living on this planet. That's a big number. 7.4 billion people. Roughly 7,000 languages are spoken on our planet and of those, about 4,100 still have no written copy of the Word of God. Of course, many of those languages have no written part to their language, and, and so there's a big work to be done there. About 748 million people on earth would identify as evangelical Christian. That's about one out of ten. About 2.3 billion would claim to know Jesus Christ, and that's, of course, identified in different ways for different people. And, and so whether you want to take a number of those who would say, I believe in the Jesus of the New Testament, I've trusted in Him, or maybe a more liberal view, the point I want us to make is there's a lot of work to be done. There are a lot of people today that don't know Jesus. 
And we're not here exclusively for us. We're here to advance the cause of God and to glorify His name. There's a lot to do. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 10, he really deals with the topic of missions in terms of answering questions. They're hard questions, but he gives the answers. So we get the test and the answer key in one passage. And uh, I want you to join me looking, if you would, to Romans chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now I'm going to read on, but he's talking about being saved from our sin and the penalty or the consequence of our sin, which is separation from God. And the flip side of salvation is to be saved unto a relationship with God that lasts forever. And so Paul said, let me tell you about my heart. My heart's desire, my prayer, is that Israel might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses uh, Moses describeth the righteousness which of the law, which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things but they have not all obeyed the gospel for he saith, saith lord who hath believed our report so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god our Father, today we're grateful to be in this place. And Lord, as we look to your word to better discern your heart for this world, your desire for our lives, I pray we'd be encouraged. Bless each one, Lord. And God, we believe you have something special for every service, but today with, with changes having been made, we understand it all, and, and, and yet we, we believe that you've orchestrated events for, for a divine purpose, and I pray that purpose would be accomplished. For your glory, we pray this prayer in Jesus name amen thank you you may be seated 
There's an increase today in people that have an interest in knowing where they came from. We've seen the commercials on TV of websites to which you can go to trace back and learn a little bit about your lineage. Well, if you're here today and you're a person of faith, you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. If you searched your spiritual lineage, it would go back to a missionary that we call the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man that first brought the gospel to the Gentiles and in time that gospel made its way to our country and, and we're grateful for the influence of this man of God, a man by the name of Paul. If you're familiar with Paul's story, you know that he wasn't a Christian all of his life. In fact, he didn't get saved until later in his life. He was a man that was very religious, he was very zealous, he was very sincere and he was very wrong. Sincerity in and of itself does not bring a relationship with God and Paul was very sincere he was just sincerely wrong. In fact, he was so adamant in his beliefs that he persecuted people of faith in Jesus Christ. One day while on a trip to Damascus, he had an opportunity to have an encounter with Jesus Christ personally. And he placed his faith in Jesus and he received the forgiveness for the sins in his life. And to say that Paul's life changed would be a massive understatement. His life completely, totally, radically, entirely changed. He, he lived opposite as to the way he had before because of the influence of Jesus. And Paul was a man who was so thankful to be a Christian. Here's what he thought. I love Jesus because he first loved me. He saved me. He changed my life. He's given me purpose and, and meaning. My sins have been forgiven. I have the assurance of a home in heaven. And I've got a purpose before me in the life that I'm now living. But Paul didn't just say, I love Jesus. What set Paul apart is he had a heart that said, I want to love the things that Jesus loves. I want to live for the things that Jesus loves lived for and Jesus loves people more than anything and so Paul concluded if I truly have a love for Jesus Christ it'll be seen in how I treat other people and so Paul wanted to live as Jesus lived and and we can find that even in the introduction to his words here in Romans chapter 10 in verse 1 he said brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved and does that not sound like Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us of Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Paul said, out of gratitude for that which Jesus has done for me, I want to live a life that extends the message of salvation to everybody around me. That was the focus of his life. And that was the passion in his life. That's what led him to be the most prolific missionary that we know of in the history of the world. And, and because of this love he received from Jesus and the love that he reciprocated that extended to others, Paul really from the beginning of his Christian life till the day that he died by way of the death of a martyr, he tirelessly shared Jesus with everybody around him. And he exposes us in this passage to some questions. Some are very obvious. He asks the questions and, and gives answers. And, and others are just seen in what it is he shares. And so with your notes nearby, with Mission Sunday on our minds, I want us to think in relationship to missions, here's the first thought today, what is the message? What is the message? Now Paul very vividly points out that there was a predominant message that was being taught in the world at that time. It was a mindset that focused around doing good works, on keeping the law, and that in so doing, you would establish a relationship with God. That's essentially what, what religion tells you. Do these things, follow this list, and you'll be fine. Paul said it this way. 
He said, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And so Paul says, let me tell you what we have. We have people today who are zealous, they're sincere, and they're going about doing what they're doing to try to establish a righteousness on their own. I've heard people say that, that the wars in the history of the world have been started by religious people. And, of course, oftentimes it's people with a, a, an anti-God worldview and they're trying to slam Christians. Let me say a couple things. Don't believe everything you hear. Last time I checked, Mao was not a Christian. Stalin was not a Christian. Hitler was not a Christian. Uh, a lot of the things that are said, we just kind of swallow it and we can feel intimidated. Like, like, oh my goodness, that's terrible. But... We do know that a lot is done in the name of religion, even in our world today. You can't watch one, one evening news without understanding there are people in the world today who, who have a zeal for God. They don't know God personally. They have a zeal for God, and they're doing what they're doing, even evil sometimes, because they're going about trying to establish their own righteousness. And there are people in the world today who are doing incredibly hurtful things to try to score points with their view of God. To establish the real way to God, however, you have to really know what it is to have your sins forgiven, to know you have a home in heaven, and, and Paul elaborates for, for us how that can be known. Verses 9 and 10, Paul said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So Paul said, let me tell you really how to become a believer. It's not by going out there trying to establish your own righteousness. It's by confessing with your mouth. What are you confessing? What are you admitting? You're admitting that you agree with God's assessment. You're admitting, yes, I am a sinner, and I do deserve to pay for my sins. But you're also admitting that Jesus Christ, as the text says, rose from the dead so that we know for a certainty he is who he claimed to be. He's God the Son. And we're trusting in him. We're confessing with our mouth while we're believing in our heart. Belief, faith, is the key to an eternal relationship with God. The message is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again. There's no plan B, there is no other message, there's no being sincere enough to make it in. There's only one way to know that we have our sins forgiven and a home in heaven, and that's through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. That is the gospel message. In fact, Paul one time very emphatically was writing to share what the gospel was all about. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. He goes on a few words later to elaborate on what the gospel is. He said this, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. You see, friends, the message of New Testament missions is that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way to eternal salvation. Now, our church is blessed to support a great team of missionaries, 70 missionaries currently that we're supporting, and many of them are in parts of the world that would be considered poorer places some third world situations. 
And for that reason, a lot of times our missionaries in those areas especially, they'll do a lot of humanitarian type of, of work. But you see, the goal of a missionary, even in a setting like that, isn't to tell people, let me tell you where the fresh water is. It's as they do that to say, but then let me tell you about Jesus, who can give you spiritual water so that you never again will thirst. It's not to tell people, let me tell you where the bread line is, so you can stand in line and get your meal for the day. It's so that you also can stand there and say, but let me tell you about Jesus Christ, who's the bread of life. He'll meet your need. He'll save your soul. It's not to tell people, let me tell you where the clinic is so you can go get checked out and get some medical needs taken care of. Yes, while we're doing that, we need to also be sharing, but let me tell you of Jesus. He's the healer, the one that can change your life. The end game is not to tell people just where their physical needs can be met, although there's a place for that. It's to tell people how they can know Jesus. And that message is the gospel message. What is the message? It's the gospel. Well, here's the second thought today. Who needs to hear this message? Well, I love the way Paul put it in verse 13 when he just said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That word whosoever is pretty inclusive. A couple of verses earlier, Paul said, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Again, the word whosoever, it's very inclusive. I don't know if you had the joy of attending Sunday school as a child, but I did. And we learned a song and a part of the song said, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Why? Jesus loves all the children of the world. He loves everybody. And the gospel is extended to, to everyone. Who needs to hear this message? Who needs to hear it? Let me tell you who needs to hear the gospel. Everybody. Everybody needs to hear it. Since 1967, I have read that 1.25 billion people have died without ever hearing a presentation of the gospel, ever hearing of who Jesus is and what he has done. And this Sunday is all about reminding us that people need the Lord. And people who know the Lord have a responsibility to help people who don't know the Lord at least have an opportunity to hear of Jesus. They'll have a decision to make themselves. But our desire in life is that we would share the message with everybody. And that leads us to the next question. How shall they hear the message? We understand the message. We know who needs to hear the message. Well, how are they going to hear the message? And in verses 14 and 15 in our text, we find that that Paul really gets into this with a series of questions. He says it this way. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher or someone to go and share the message? And how shall they preach except they be sent, sent by a local church? How, how is this going to happen? If we believe today that the gospel message is for everybody, Paul's saying, well, how are people going to hear the message if there aren't some that are willing to say, I'll go to those places, and others who are willing to say, we'll send you and we'll support you? I've read that for each of the past 20 years, the United States, which has really been a, a global leader in, in missions, has had more missionaries returning home from mission fields than new missionaries going and taking their place. For years and years, the numbers of missionaries sent by the United States, it was, it was growing, and over the last 20 years, that number's been, been reducing. And to that, I say this. Do you realize how blessed we are as a church to know personally 
70 missionaries? To think of eight other missionaries who've been added this year who have said, we'll go. We know what it'll cost us. We know we're going to be moving away from family and friends. We, we know it's going to create a distance between us and, and those we love. We know it's not going to be easy, Coastline, but, but we'll go. We will go and tell them of Jesus. If you will send us, if you'll support us, if, if you'll pray for us, we'll change our lives entirely to tell those people that don't know Jesus how much he loves them. But we'll go only if you'll send. When it comes to statistics, you're really at the disposal of those who do the studies. But a group of people that call themselves missiologists have studied trends and practices of churches and missionaries. And, and they've, they've come to this conclusion that 80%, 87% of the monies given by Christians to missions, quote-unquote missions, goes to evangelized entities like schools and administration and so forth. And and I want to say this, I understand there's a need for that. Uh, our church and, and our 70 missionaries, one of those we, we call a missionary, is a Bible college that, that is training pastors and missionaries to continue the work. And so I understand there's a part for that. But there's a part of me that feels bad that we've got a world filled with people that don't know the good news of Jesus Christ, that there are good missionaries who are willing to go, and that such an enormous portion of mission support, collective mission support, goes to pay for administration and management and, and so forth. You see, we need to be urgent about this matter of getting the gospel to those who need to hear it. Now again, I know there's a need there. But I said that to say this. One of the reasons I love the ways that we do missions is that we get to personally meet missionaries. They come to our church, we get to meet them, we hear from them, we heard from one last week, we'll hear from one tonight, and uh, uh, every Sunday night we have missions moments and we get video updates and read letters from missionaries that we know, that we support, who are on the front lines of missions work, they're telling people about Jesus, they're starting churches, they're training people to pastor those churches so that they can go on and start more. Uh, I don't know that there's a bad way to do missions, but I think there's a wonderful way for a local church, and it's for of people like us to support people that we know who are going out doing what we believe the Lord would have done. It's been reported that only 0.1% of mission support goes to the 38 least evangelized nations. Now I want you to think of that. If you made a list of the 38 least evangelized nations, the place with the least gospel anywhere, 0.1% of mission support makes it to those places. And as it turns out, many of those countries fall in a part of our world that we often refer to as the 1040 window. And within that area right there, within that 1040 window, we know that there's an enormous population of people and nearly 90% of the unreached people of the world live in that window. We have some great missionaries in those countries. And my desire is, yes, that we would continue to add new missionaries as we've done. But as our church moves forward, I'm going to use all the influence I can muster for the cause of God to help us do more for the missionaries we have in the areas that have the greatest need 
to find the darkest areas on planet earth, to find men and women who love Jesus who are willing to go there, or some we're supporting who are already there, and say, yes, we want to support you, but we even want to do more to support you so you can get the gospel message out. 60% of the people who live in that 1040 window live in countries that are called closed access countries. And by that I mean I could not go to these countries and say, hey, my name's Steve Chappell, I'm from America, I want to move to your country because I want to be a missionary. They would say, we're not interested in, in your missions work. You cannot come to our country as a missionary. But in that window, we have people uh, around, missionaries that we support, that have contacts in those countries. And, and as we get thriving missions works around countries that are, quote, closed, we'll have the opportunity to have inroads so that more people, again, more people can come to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And again, as we move forward as a church, I really want us to focus on these areas of need and do all we can to get the gospel message to those around us. Here's a question we've got to answer for ourselves. Number four, when will they hear the message? When will they hear the message? Verse 15 gives us a little bit of a bizarre word picture, an expression we wouldn't use perhaps. The Bible says, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings to them. Now that expression is not one we would use, but it's, Referring to the joy of seeing someone walk to you with good news. In this time, you'd say, you have beautiful feet. And what they're saying is, we're so glad to see you coming because you're bringing to us good news. Good news. The Bible says, glad tidings. And, and one way to define that expression, glad tidings, is the word gospel. Gospel just means glad tidings or good news. I remember when I was six, our family moved to South Korea and Korea now is one of the great nations in all of the world, and I love it tremendously. Uh, I thank God for the influence of that country. Per capita, they're doing more now for the cause of Christ than, than really just any other country in all of the world. It's an amazing place. But when I moved there, it was a very different place. And, and I, I remember as, as we were there for those years growing up, I maybe was seven or eight, something like that, but we went to a country in the very south of South Korea uh, called Mokpo. And as we went there, it just looked like a, a scene out of National Geographic. It was just rice paddies. That was about it. And, and as the Japanese left Korea after occupying it in 1945, as they left Korea, just really out of spite, they tried to cut down all the trees in the country, just kind of a going away present. And they left one tree in that area. And so here's Mokpo. You're walking through these rice paddies, and there's, there's kind of a little hill in the, in the middle of these collection of villages where there's this tree and people would come and they would pray at the tree they thought it was special because somehow it was it was spared as the trees were raised and here's an area that that literally had a history that dates back to the time of Jesus Christ and as far as we could tell there was not one Christian living in that area at all and and I remember as a boy with the with a team of people we went and we spent a couple days passing out invitations to all the people in that area and they set up a big tent and people came on uh, under that tent and, and and there was a time to have the gospel preached. People were curious what we were doing there. And, and they came and they heard the gospel. And many people in that meeting came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I was reminded of one man after that meeting that, that came and asked us, Why didn't you come sooner? 
speaking through an interpreter, we're thinking we've missed something. You know, that's an unusual question. Why didn't you come sooner? You know. But the man went on to explain that his wife had just died and he wished that she too could have heard of Jesus Christ. When will they hear the message? An estimated 35 million people will die this year in areas without a gospel witness. And we call the gospel the good news, but it's only good news if you hear it. This meeting is really for the purpose of helping us get together and to determine to do something about it. And that leads us to this thought. Number five, who will be a part of giving the message? Who will be a part? I want to close with some verses we read earlier. I want you to listen again to what it is Paul had to say. He said, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? He's asking, how, how are people going to call on Jesus if they haven't believed in him? And, and he said, and how shall they believe in him of, of whom they have not heard? He said, how can we expect people to place their faith in Jesus if they've never heard of Jesus? And he said, how shall they hear without a preacher? Paul said, they're never going to hear if there's not someone who's willing to say, I'll be a messenger, I'll take the message and he says, and how shall they preach except they be sent? Now, we're all the share of the gospel where we are. Supporting missions isn't us hiring the professionals to do what we're supposed to be doing as well. We're supposed to share the gospel, but as far as taking the gospel to places where uh, it's not preached currently or where there's a great need, it's really all about us doing this part of the message, sending, sending. The local church is the entity created by God for the purpose of worldwide evangelization. I often refer to the Great Commission. It should be very personal to us, but the Great Commission was given to the church, to the church. And so we own it as individuals who are a part of a church, but God did create an organization. An organism would be a better word to do his work. It's called the local church. God raises up men and women, and he calls them in a special way, and some to go to faraway places. And then the apparatus whereby those people can get all the support, material, spiritual, physical, and otherwise, is from the body of Christ. And as we send them, they're able to go and tell others about a Jesus in whom they must trust. Someone could say, well, pastor, these are, these are really tough days. These are tough days. I know. 165,000 Christians will be killed for simply being Christians this year. When we say these are tough days, we mean, you know, the economy's not growing at a rate we would like or Now, I don't want to minimize what it is you're going through. We all need God's grace. But sometimes we need a day like this where we can step back and realize everybody's going to die and spend forever somewhere. And sometimes while we're in our bubble of comfort, we forget that the war we watch on the news, there are people on the other side of the world living that in person. And that Christians are literally being killed. Some have even in recent days been crucified to mock the death of our Savior for their faith. There's a work for us to do. And so today, 
Pastor, what are you getting at? I'm not getting at anything. What are you trying to say? I'm not trying to say anything. I am saying this is our calling. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to do something significant and sacrificial so that people can come to know Jesus. A little more than 17 years ago, our family came to this area to start the church. And most of you have heard me tell the story of us cashing in our, our life savings. It sounds really big when you say it that way. We really didn't have much. It wasn't a very big sacrifice, but it was 100% of what we had. So proportionately, it was big. We sold one of our two cars and, and we came here. And many of you have heard that story. But you know, along the way, there were other churches that sent money to Steve Chapel for the purpose of me coming and sharing the gospel so that one day a church could be established. Now, I want you to think of this. Look up here. In a church not too different than this, a pastor stood up before his people and said, you know, I know a guy named Steve Chapel, and I can vouch for his character. He knows the Lord. He loves God. Not perfect, but he's going to an area to start a church. And, and somewhere else, a pastor stood before his people and said, I want to ask you guys, I want to ask you to, Take your wallets and take some money and we're going to give to Steve so that he can take the gospel message 